Today is known as Palm Sunday. And many of you, you grew up in a church where it was obvious that it was Palm Sunday because kids came in, right? You remember this growing up, those of you who grew up in church, kids came in and they were waving palm branches and we all thought it was real cute and we'd take a little picture and they'd kind of squirrel out and we'd get them back and then, then you'd usher them back out to whatever kids do during church. And, and so many of you grew up with that. For others of you, you didn't grow up in church, but like the first time you came to church, there was a bunch of kids waving palm branches and you were like, I'm out. You hadn't been back since. It's been 25 years and you're like, you know, I'm gonna give it one more shot because you came on kid waving branch Sunday and you're like, eh, eh, this isn't for me. I get that. Uh, but it's Palm Sunday and whether you grew up in church or not, it doesn't change the calendar. And so today all across the world, people are celebrating this day, and, and this story is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think it's in all of them. But when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to celebrate the Passover. And for those of you who've been doing the year of the Bible, you know, we're in, you remember in Exodus, so you know what the Passover was. It's when the Israelites were delivered from captivity in Egypt, and God said, take a spotless male lamb and put its blood over your doorframe. And when you do that, my angel will pass over you. And so because they were spared, God said, I want you to celebrate this event every year with a special meal. And the meal will consist of unleavened bread because you had to make your bread in a hurry to get away from the Egyptians. And it will consist of a few glasses of wine and each wine represented something different. And so Jesus is coming into town to celebrate Passover into Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would have been absolutely packed with people. There would have been hundreds of thousands of Jewish people there because they were commanded to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And the crowd, as Jesus comes into town, they're going nuts. They're waving palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, this is the, the, the cry of a king. Hosanna, save us, king. I mean, the, the energy in this place would have been like if Channing Tatum walked into Cindy Stinson's house. <laughs> Y'all ever read her post on Facebook? That girl loves some Channing Tatum, man. Dang. Actually, it would be like if Channing Tatum walked into a lot of your houses, if you're honest, you just don't post it on Facebook. <laughs> That's right. Right? So this is what's going on. This is the sort of energy in town right now. People are excited. They're celebrating. Here comes Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the people have an agenda because we always have agendas. The people think Jesus is coming into town to rescue them from their Roman occupiers because the Romans have occupied their land. And so you guys are reading Joshua right now in the year of the Bible. The people, the Jewish people are expecting Yeshua, Joshua, to come and save them. They think God is coming back in the person of Joshua to come back and be a king like Joshua who will kill all the enemies, who will establish a new Jerusalem, an earthly kingdom. The people think Jesus is riding into town to make their lives better. Here comes Jesus, Hosanna. He's here to make my life easier. And so the people are excited. What they later find out is Jesus wasn't coming to build an earthly kingdom. He was coming to die. And when they find out that his agenda didn't match their agenda, the people begin to turn on him. The same people who, who were shouting Hosanna just a few days later are now shouting crucify him. And what was what palm branches becomes a cross because when Jesus's agenda didn't match their agenda, the people turned on Jesus. They thought he was coming to make life easy. They didn't realize he was coming to die for them, but not just for them. He was coming to die for the Romans who hated him. He was coming to die so that everybody might experience eternal life. And they didn't like that. And so they turned on Jesus. 
There was a misunderstanding of what Christ had come to do. And 2,000 years later, there's still a lot of misunderstandings about what Christ has come to do. Right? And so we end up with these sort of false versions of Christianity. And, and, and some of the false versions we like because they draw big cheering crowds. But one of the false versions, it, it tells you that, that you can have, you know, that, that, that God cares more about your happiness than he cares about your holiness. The false version separates love from obedience. It separates being a follower of Christ from actually following Christ. It, it separates thoughts and feelings from what you're called to do, and it separates everything and tells you you can have everything in eternity, but that God demands nothing of you today. All the power for tomorrow, but no power over sin today. And people like that, and people flock to that because it makes us feel good and it's what we want to hear that Jesus has come to make your dreams come true. That Jesus Christ is here to make your life better. That's one false, this other false version of Christianity is something that reduces a relationship with Christ to some sort of religion. I was talking to a friend of mine, well we're friends now, I just met him about a week ago, we're friends now. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and uh, he said, you know, man, I, I would come check out your church, but I'm always a little gun-shy when it comes to organized religions. And you know what I said? Me too. <laughs> like, I, I was like, you don't know how disorganized these people are. <laughs> like, you'll feel totally safe. and nothing organized about us. But like organized religion, I don't believe that Christ came to earth, died on a cross and resurrected so that we could create little pockets of religious people who feel safe and comfortable. We're not gonna let those people in because they don't believe we, and we won't let those people in because they don't look like us. And we're just gonna create our own little groups and we're gonna huddle together and we're gonna be super religious. Man, that's an insult to our God. That's an insult to what Christ came to do. But, but, but this is the sort of thing that we oftentimes project into the world that we're just this group of religious people who come together to do religious things and there's really no difference in us and anybody else. And all these little false Christianities, these, these false relationships, all fall under this one tagline that we sold to the world when we told the world this, all you have to do is accept Christ into your heart. All you have to do, like the pinnacle of everything is invite Jesus into your life. And that's what we sold to the world. But the truth is, I don't believe that the message of Christ crucified is about us inviting Christ into our lives. I think it's about us giving Christ our lives. It's not about us inviting Christ into our heart. It's about us giving our heart to Christ. And those are two very different things. And if you don't believe they're different, is it the same thing to invite me into your home as it is to give me your home? No. Is it the same thing to let me ride in your car as to give me your car? To invite someone into something is totally different than to give your life to something. But the message of Christ, the message of Easter is not let me into your life. It's give me your life. And these are two very different messages. Unfortunately, when we encounter Christ, something has to die. And what dies is the ownership of our lives. 
when we, when we encounter Christ, something has to die. And you know what that's not? It's not good marketing. Our Easter invites don't say, come die with us. <laughs> All right? That looks fun. The Easter invitation doesn't say, come and be ruled completely by Jesus and surrender everything. You know why? Because people wouldn't show up. So we knew people wouldn't show up. So the church, in order to fill the seats and, you know, make sure that I had my Cadillac, so what we did, which I don't have a Cadillac, what we did was change the message from surrender to Christ and die to Christ to, oh, just give him a little of your life. You see it? Isn't it subtle? And this is why, this is why people say things like, I'm gun-shy of organized religion. Because until we look like the God we represent, they will reject what we believe in here out there. When they see religious people who are judgmental and angry and, and people who look just one thing on Friday night and there's something different on Sunday and there's something different on Tuesday. When we don't look like Christ has infested us and taken over us, when we just look like people who are just like everybody else but we occasionally talk about Jesus, they will reject what we say in here. But if we are willing to open up our hearts and give Christ everything, if we will become like him, then when they see us, they will see him and he is irresistible. No one has ever said, I'm not coming to your church because I have a problem with Jesus. You know who they have a problem with? Us. Jesus is winsome. Sinners love Jesus. People who didn't believe what Jesus believed, they flocked to Jesus. He's not the problem. We are. And so maybe this Easter is about more than inviting Christ into your life. Christ doesn't doesn't want to be invited into your heart. He wants to take it over. Luke 14, 25 says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, by the way, every time a large crowd got with Jesus, Jesus said something that made the disciples go, oh, no. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning them, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation and ask for peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Okay, when I read this, what I don't hear is God saying, hey, let me into your life. Come on, man. Let me come over and play. That's, that's not what I hear. I don't hear God going, hey, man, could I, could I just come in? I, what I hear him saying is, I want all of you. I want to take over. I, I want you to die to who you are and be reborn in who I created you to be. The word is Repent. And we, we think repent is a dirty word because we've been beaten with it like it was a stick. Repent was not a dirty word. Repent is to die to self and receive the self I was designed to be, to die to the life I created, to receive the life I was created for. And Jesus says, this is what I want. 
He doesn't really want you to hate your father and mother. He wants you to love him above everything. And so he says, count the cost, man. Count the cost. This isn't something you hear in church fair because all we ever say is, oh, just come to the front and receive, receive, receive. And he's going, no, no, no. You're not coming to the front to receive. You're coming to the front to give, to give me everything. So before you do that, count the cost because I'm going to ask you to carry your cross. And for, the, for Jesus Christ, the cross meant something had to die. The cross was the symbol of death. And so he says, I want you and I will change you. And I will give you all of me, but in return, I want all of you. So he says, count the cost before you come to me. Repent. Over and over, the message of the Bible is repent. The kingdom of God is here. Repent, die, die to, to, be, to be awakened, to be, to be arisen, to be resurrected. He says, repent over and over. And we have these parables in Luke 15, and, and, and the message is always the same. We'll start with Luke 15, 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, oh man, don't you hate it when you're standing around and people are muttering, nah, 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 nah. they're muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not think they need to repent. Amen. Wow. And, and so Jesus tells him this parable, and he's like, and it's the tax collectors, I mean, the Pharisees were muttering. They were worried because Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners? The tax collectors and sinners should have been worried because Jesus was about to tell them they needed to die. Because what you see is heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Not when one sinner comes to church, although that's a great step. Not, not even when one sinner opens the Bible, but that's a great step. Not when one sinner sings a song or plays Caleb in their car, though those are great steps. When one person dies to self and is reborn in Jesus Christ, the relationship is sealed and heaven rejoices and the gates of hell shudder. And that's the good news. When one sinner realizes that they can no longer handle their life on their own and they turn their life over to God Almighty, all of heaven rejoices with us. And then there's the story of the, of the lost coin, and it ends like this. In Luke 15, it says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one person who says, you know what, God, no, I need you. And they turn. And they said, this is not the life I want. And they turn and they receive something greater. And then we have the story of the prodigal son. And we love this story, and this story is cool. And in Luke 15, 21, the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I want you to hear that. The son doesn't just say, I sinned. The son says, I am a sinner. I am not worthy to be called your son. And when the son does that, he dies to self, and he turns to the father. And this is what the father says in verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Amen. 
Amen. Over and over and over, this is the message of Jesus Christ. And he says it in a lot of different ways and a lot of different chapters, but the, it's always the same story. You got to die to be resurrected. You got to let go of who you are to become who you were created to be. In John 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus, which you don't meet people named that anymore. And in verse 3, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. That's because he didn't want any of the other good, good church people to see him. So he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with them. And then Jesus looks at him and says, very truly, I tell you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. To be born again, you have to be willing to die. To be raised to life, you have to be willing to, to embrace. The, I'm talking about spiritual death. You have to be willing to, to lose the life you have created to receive this. And this is the message of Easter it's not about a little bit more of Jesus. It's about who does my life really belong to? And this is what makes us irresistible to the outside world. When they look in here and they see a group of people surrendered to Jesus Christ who understand that we will do anything to pursue the lost sheep. And when they repent, we will rejoice. This is what should make the church different and special. Not how many people we can fit in and not what we wear and not what we look and not anything else. The fact that lost people are found and dead people are given life again. This is why we exist. Like this is what we're doing. So I'm reading this. And so if this is the most important thing any of you will ever consider, and I believe with everything I am that it is, that your relationship with Christ is the most important thing you will ever consider. I believe it has eternal consequences, man. I believe it matters. If this is the most important thing you will ever think about, then right now we should ask two questions. How do I give him my life? And how do I know if I've done it? Right? How do, how do I do it? And how do I know? And so let's, let's start with the first one, how do I know that I've given Christ my life? Luke 15, or how, how do I do it? Luke 15, 21. The son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The first thing you do to die to self and be reborn in Christ is repent. Turn. Turn to God and have a real honest conversation with him where you say, I don't know that I fully want this because I still like a lot of this stuff. Uh, but I know I need you. I've heard about these things and, and I don't even know that I fully believe them, but I'm willing to put my faith in you. I, I, just, I know I need you. I know I want you. I, 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 trust, I trust you. And so I'm gonna, give you, I'm gonna give you power over my life. And I don't know how this works. I don't know what I'm supposed to read or what I'm supposed to pray. I'm just talking to you, God, because I believe you're real and you're there. And I'm just telling you, I need you. So take over. Here I am, take me. Here I am, take me with my doubts, take me with my sin, take me with the, with the sin that I still like, take me. Just take me, God, because I can't do this anymore and I'm giving everything to you. You have that conversation. You have that conversation first. You have a real conversation with the real God and when you do that, God responds in a very, very real way. John 16, it says this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people don't believe in me, 
about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you will see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. When you turn to Jesus, when you turn to God and say, God, I'm giving you my life, he doesn't respond by going, well, good luck with that. Man, are you giving 10%? Do you go to church every Sunday? Do you have the whole body? He doesn't respond with any of those things, although all those are good. He doesn't respond with any of those things. He responds when you give him your life by giving you his life. He says, all right, you want to play? Here you go. Here's the Holy Spirit. Now be empowered and be changed and be different. And pretty soon what, what, what annoys God and what offends God, which is sin, begins to annoy and offend us. We begin to become aware of the sin in our lives, things we didn't even see before we begin to recognize is wrong. We begin to remove them out of our lives and we begin to desire what God desires. We begin to to want to get closer to him and to know him better and something inside of us is changing because we have been changed on the inside. The the closest thing I I can think of is, is this is another example that you probably won't hear in a lot of other places. So I quit smoking a few years ago And I quit using Chantex and Altoids. So I still eat a can of Altoids every day. Sue me. So we'll deal with that later. But what I found with Chantex is it it changes the taste of a cigarette. I didn't decide to quit smoking and never think about a cigarette again. That's a lie. Amen. Matter of fact, I still think about them sometimes. The more I talk about it, but now. So... It's not that I never thought about one again, right? And it's not that I never tried to smoke again. Because even though I was trying to be different, I would still pick up a cigarette. But now what used to taste good to me didn't taste the same. Now what used to give me a good feeling didn't feel the same. Now what used to give me a stress relief didn't do the same. What used to be enjoyable to me was now different because I was different. Tell me, y'all see where I'm going with this. When the Holy Spirit is in you, you can try the old stuff, but it's not going to feel the same. Something different has happened inside of you. You are being transformed. Not fixed. Not tweaked. Dead is coming back to life. And life just don't feel the same as death, (laughs) right? You surrender to God, and God responds by giving you the greatest power you'll ever know, and that is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And you're changed. That's how you do it. You surrender. So, So how do you know? How do you know? How do you know if you've done it? This is I've heard this question, and churches, I think, divide over this debate like how do you know if you have died to self and been reborn in Jesus Christ well here's here's a question I'm going to ask you to think about how do you know if you're wearing clothes well I got several theories Um, (laughs) theory one is you just kind of know and everyone else around you kind of knows right like, we, we believe everyone needs Jesus and everyone's our responsibility. But if you try to come in here naked, someone at the door will probably say something to the effect of, I'm glad you're here. Let's start there. But perhaps you should put some clothes. I mean, right? If you're wearing clothes, people know you're wearing clothes. So how do you know if you have died to Christ and been reborn in Christ? Here's how you know. You know it and people around you know it. There is something clearly different about you. How do you know if if you're alive in Christ? You know it because you're alive. 
You're alive, like there's something inside of you. There's this feeling, there's this passion, there's this thing that knows that you're not where you need to be, but you will never go back to where you were. And there's something inside of you, there's this weird hope. And it's not there all the time, but like in the darkest hours, there is a hope that the world says, why in the world do you have that? There is a peace that makes absolutely no sense. And there will be days when that peace is hard to find, but you know it's there. You believe it's there because you have been transformed and you are being transformed. You have been changed and you are being changed. There is something inside of you that you cannot explain. And that is the spirit of the living God. How do you know? How do you know that you've died? Because you're alive, like you're alive, real life. Not the, little, not the little lives we created, but the life we were created for. There is an unmistakable, winsome power in you. And you know that Christ alone has changed your life. So let me tell you guys a secret. Don't tell everybody. We're going to invite a lot of people to Easter next week. But if you're here today, you're being invited to die. To let the pride in you die. To let the guilt in you die. To let the shame in you die. To let the regret in you die. To let blaming yourself die. To let taking, taking, uh, acting like you did it yourself, let that die. We're, we're going to let all these things die. And the old us is going to die. And we are going to be reborn as the sons and daughters we were created to be. People with power and people with hope. It's no wonder Paul said, death, where is your sting? Because death has no sting over people who never die. And that's us. We're forever. And y'all must believe that. And the most attractive thing we will ever do to the outside world is go out there and live. Live as people who believe in the truth. There is power in you guys. And Friday night, we will come in here and together we will die. We will let go of whatever needs to be let go of. And on Sunday, we will come back in here and we will receive life. Do you want to really live, then let go. Let go. The call is not make a little room in your heart. The call is give your heart and let God do what only God can do. If it's life you're after, then life has found you.